Hey guys, David here, and just before the episode begins, I want to give a quick shout out to Manscaped for supporting this episode of 64 A Chess Podcast. Manscaped is the best in men's below the waist grooming. You can join over 6 million men worldwide who trust Manscaped with this exclusive offer, 20% off and free worldwide shipping with the code 64squares, that's 64squares at manscaped.com. So 20% off and free worldwide shipping with the code 64squares at manscaped.com. And I want to thank Manscaped for sponsoring this podcast. They actually sent me their performance package 4.0. Uh, as a courtesy so I can try out the products before doing this ad read and uh, it comes with the lawnmower 4.0 which is a trimmer weed whacker which is ear and nose hair trimmer Um, they gave me these two things called crop preserver and crop reviver which is for grooming below the waist Um, they also this comes with uh, for free also performance boxer briefs and a travel bag to hold everything I tried all these products I was amazed by how effective they were how easy they were to use the Lawnmower 4.0 trimmer is waterproof and has a 4000K LED spotlight if you need a more precise shave. And um, yeah, I really was surprised by how effective and, and easy it was to use these to kind of groom my my body. So I was really impressed. And uh, if you are interested in uh, buying some grooming products, check out manscaped.com. 20% off and free worldwide shipping with the code 64squares. Once again, Manscaped, thank you so much for sponsoring the podcast. And let's get right into this episode. Welcome back to 64, a chess podcast. I'm your host, David, coming live from Illinois. My guest today is a trailblazer of our game, one of the legendary commentators and grandmasters of chess, inducted into the United States Chess Hall of Fame in 2016. Uh, please welcome to the show, Grandmaster Maurice Ashley. How's it going, Maurice? Hey, hey, hey. What's up? What's up? Thanks for having me. This is a uh, interview I've been wanting to do for a long time um, because... When I started playing chess, I think the first chess tournament I ever watched was maybe Champion Showdown in 2017. Uh, that August, I had just finished high school, and this was like the tournament that got me really excited, like watching, I think you see Karu and Gary, and you were doing commentary, I think, you and, and Christian and, and Jen and Yasser. So that was, I think, or maybe it was some highlights we were before, but I distinctly remember that team. So this is uh, this is pretty cool a few years later to be, to be chatting with you about... Uh, about the game that we both love so much. Yeah, it's surprising to me to hear you talk about 2017 as uh, this this long, long time ago. And I, usually people say, oh yeah, you know, back in the 90s, <laughs> and now you're saying 2017. So it, gets, it means I've been around a while. Yeah, you have been around a, a while. Uh, I mean, uh, you are one of the uh, great chess personalities of our game, and uh, you're actually, you're, branching out into some new territory now you're writing books right so uh it's pretty cool i am i am i decided to take a year off that is 2022 from doing any commentary which shocked a lot of people since uh, i've just been doing it now for years and just focus on content creation and other projects that i'm doing the things that i'm interested in so it's been a very interesting year so far nine months in i managed to publish a chessable course managed to complete a children's book and uh, working on yet another book, so it, it's been a fun ride so far. Yeah, and we're gonna we're gonna dive into all those, and I, I want to start with uh, the Chessable course. Um, as many of my listeners know, sixty four Chess Podcast is sponsored by Chessable. You can go to chessable.com slash sixty four podcast. You want to see some of my favorite courses, but I do need to update this because I have been working on your Chessable course, Secrets of Chess Geometry, for about two weeks now. And I'm, I'm really taking my time. I got the video and all that. And I have to say, this is one of the, you know, when, it's, when it says secrets of chess geometry, at first I was like, okay, this is a gimmick. You know, this is what secrets. And truthfully, have even like 
just playing online chess now, I'm seeing the board in a different way. And that's, you know, only getting out halfway through. And that to me is crazy. So, I mean, what was the, like, what was your, like, what was the, the cause that made you want to write this book specifically? Well, I am glad to hear you say that because that's the purpose of teaching these kind of lessons. But doing this course was something that I wanted to do for a long time. I actually wanted to do the book first, but then the platform Chessable uh, existed and I was like, hey, I can talk about stuff pretty, pretty clearly. So let me just do it this way. And, uh, but the point was that for many years, I've understood that grandmasters see the board differently from amateurs, that the, the chess board itself is not what you think it is. And you, you just see these like 64 squares, it's eight by eight, and you're like, yeah, okay, I get it. But the reality is things happen on the chessboard that seem somewhat magical that like grandmasters will do, but it's not really magic. It's just a different geometry that the board obeys. And if you understand that geometry, then you can see qualitatively different moves than somebody who's just basically thinking that it's some kind of Euclidean straightforward, oh, I just go in a straight line and it's the shortest distance between two points, et cetera. So because, because I understood this for a while, I would see lots of stuff happen on the board or, or even you'd hear in commentary, you hear grandmasters like, uh, like Yasser or Peter Spidler, they would just casually throw the word, oh, beautiful geometry. But nobody would go into the topic, like deeply into why they're saying that and why it is that we do find these geometric relationships intriguing. And it just eventually came to me, I just have to take the material that I have, put it together and make this course. And so that's what happened. Yeah, I, th I think the the course starts off automatically by kind of unraveling you know, even if you're if you're a total beginner or if you're a pretty strong club player, it, it really, you know, kind of teaching you about how there's so many different straight lines in chess. Um, that's something that I, I think I saw that and immediately went on like a massive win streak. Just uh, like winning end games, like that. And I was just like, this is this is some good stuff. Like uh, because it's true. I mean, especially, you know, I'm I'm used to looking at triangles and lines from. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm doing a PhD in astronomy right now. And so there's a lot of geometry in that, actually. There's a lot of geometry in astronomy, a lot of triangles, a lot of circles, a lot of straight lines, uh, and calculating things along those lines. So for me, I look at the chessboard a month ago, and I see diagonal, I see a straight line. Uh, I know the knights make like kind of like a circle on the board with there. But that's it. I didn't really see it too much deeper than that. Um, and it turns out that there's so many more straight lines and... Uh, you know, triangles that you could find if you're actively looking for them. And that's like, uh, that that's something that it just makes you feel like more thinking more actively about the board. And it, it, do, it does just translate into uh, into success for me. Well, it, it, what's incredible is like somebody like yourself with a scientific mind could be enslaved by the way chess is normally described, right? And then one simple reframe can make you go, whoa, and just unleash all these possibilities that you'd never had inspected before. And that's what this is all about, that we're trapped in the nomenclature of chess. You know, we know pins and skewers uh, and, and forks and interference tactics and the like, but these are just words. They, they're they supposed to describe a specific phenomenon, but you know, like in, if you think somebody told me that in Russian, the word pin and skewer are exactly the same. Now that's a bit mind blowing because it seems like it's completely separate even though they're interconnected. 
clearly, but the fact is we just attribute words to phenomena and then we think that we're somehow uh, describing it properly when in fact there are deeper levels to go and you can go underneath that phenomena. So when I talk about things like collinearity or concurrency, that's describing many more tactical operations in a more base way. And I think about science in that way, when you're looking for, you know, that, that all encompassing theorem, right? That theory that explains everything. That's where my mind goes. I want, I don't want to get all the fluff and, and all this extraneous information. I want to get down to base theoretical framework that explains as much as possible. And that's what I try to do with this course. Yeah. And that's exactly what I was going to say. I think, you know, to me, what this course does is it kind of breaks down um, at the most basic level what a tactic is. And it, it yeah. seems kind of silly. Um, in fact, I do think, you know, you, you do need to kind of, I don't think myself that you could just, you know, come to this course without with just starting to play chess. Because I think what this really does is it kind of like uh, it unravels what you thought you already knew. Like what is the difference between, you know, setting up a, a, a pin with no threat and a, a pin with threat? Well, you understand the, you know, what's the kind of collinearities that you're setting up? What are the concurrencies of the position? And you really are, are getting these tactics down to a more elementary, you know, like you said, it's a theory of everything. It's a theory of everything of tactics, really. Uh, and, and you see it, some of it in end games. Some of the positions you give, some of them are middle games. Some of them are even openings. And a lot of them just from Grandmaster games, stuff that people found, didn't find. But, you know, just some of these positions look completely normal in, in the... But you, you say there's something, look for it. And, and sure enough, if you're like, if you're getting your brain active, um, you, you'll find those moves. And I, and or at least most of them, the, some of the end, the end of the chapter, some of those are really, they're really something, you know, so. Oh yeah, oh yeah, it, it, incre it gets increasingly difficult. But you know, it's funny you said that because the stuff, the stuff I'm explaining, absolute beginners appreciate. And that's what I'm really excited about. That's awesome. Because because when I teach absolute beginners, I don't burden them with these preconceptions about chess that you would typically get typically get in other chess books, all right? In the standard materials, the way everything is normally explained. I know all that stuff, of course. But what I want to do is make sure that their very foundation is correct. Or let's not use the word correct, but it's based on something that is far more explanatory than than it is specific and so i teach stuff like this and beginners are like what whoa that's amazing i didn't realize chess was was going to be like that and it just makes complete sense it's so it's so simple it's so obvious when you talk about collinearity for example where three things line up like the the eclipse right people get it there's, there's the earth there's the moon there's the sun got it okay well there's a bishop there's a queen there's a king Got it. They're all lined up. It doesn't take anything to explain that to a beginner. When they see it, they automatically get it, and then they're automatically able to run with that, and that'll be their foundation for the rest of their chess career. And so, and but then you can have very sophisticated examples that the top top players will have trouble with. As a matter of fact, one of my puzzles, uh, it's in the crossbin chapter. My this puzzle is my favorite creation, like the one, you know, I've been creating a lot of chess puzzles uh, in the last couple of years, maybe even longer than that, in fact, but now I'm really into it. It's like mind numbing how much I'm doing this kind of work. Like I'll wake up in three hours, I'll be on a chess puzzle, creating a chess puzzle. It's like my fun now, now that I no longer play chess. 
uh, in, in professional competition. But this puzzle I gave to MVL, Fabiano Caruana, Maxime Vachilagra, Fabiano Caruana, uh, Ali Reza Ferruja, blew all their minds. MVL thought he was just going to solve it in minutes because that's what he does. He just solves puzzles just like that. I gave it to Ray Robson, who's a world championship puzzle solver. And all of them struggled. And in fact, uh, Ali Reza said, this is one of the best puzzles I've ever seen. This is 2750 level, at least. So I'm excited by the fact that you can build on a basic idea like the cross pin that's so basic. And it's all about this collinearity uh, and, and concurrency that you can build on that from something simple and get at something as complex that even 2750 grandmasters are, are mind blown by it. So that's what I love about this because it explains so much on so many levels. Is there one chapter in your course that you're particularly excited or proud about? I think the most important chapter to me is the one on concurrency. The one I feel is is uh, like sort of a terminology I'm bringing to chess because collinearity is something that John Nunn, Grandmaster John Nunn, Dr. John Nunn spoke about. He spoke about it in a limited way uh, that I expand on even more, but but he did introduce this term. He's a mathematician himself. So he introduced this term to chess. And, and so the idea of collinearity, again, not in the full way that I explained it, but in, in some sort of limited way, is something that he brought in. But concurrency, nobody talks about. Nobody talked about. Nobody just dove into as a thing. And even the term itself is new to chess. So I'm very excited about that because I hope people get, get the understanding. Again, the term shouldn't hamstring you it's the idea right it's what it's just trying to describe and once you see concurrency you can't look at the chessboard again in a, like the same you just get it it's like you just see all the inter intersections the crossing points and your brain just expands it's like that's it and, and the fact is when i look at a chess tactic when i'm looking at white to move and win for example it's all concurrencies well it might be a mating attack which is is a different form of tactic but if it's like winning a piece it will all add up to collinearities and concurrencies merging for the tactic to happen and you just have to figure out the move. now just for people who maybe haven't gone on the course maybe to give them a sneak peek how would you describe concurrency your new concurrency is, is simply a point where three lines meet really simple a point where three lines meet so if, uh, the lines are basically the the lines emanating from a chess piece so if you think of the way a queen moves, that is how you look at how every piece will have lines coming out of it, right? As, as though a queen is attacking, uh, as though a queen is sitting on the square where the piece is. So even if a king is sitting, let's say on E1, you would imagine it to be a queen The way, if you want to find the lines coming out of it. And then there would be three pieces anywhere on the board. You put three pieces anywhere on the board and you'll be able to draw lines out of those pieces. And the point where those three lines meet will be their concurrent point. And there may be more than one. There may be more than one as you draw these lines on the chessboard. Uh, it's a cool activity. And I think about it for kids, right? Just, just draw the lines uh, that, that emanate from a piece, whether along a rank, a file or a diagonal. And then if you have three pieces on the board to find those points of concurrency where those lines intersect. Because that's where the action always is, not always, but most of the time is with a lot of tactics, whether like interference tactics, whether it be discovered attacks, whether it be pins and whether it be forks, forks for sure. That's that's where forks. Absolutely. A lot uh, of forks in that chapter. 
yeah, forks is just like money. But most every tactic will display this unless it's a very limited space, like trapping a piece, for example, where it's just like one piece traps another because it's just trap. That's a smaller space. But when you start expanding, then it's all those collinear, uh, those concurrent points where the tactics, where the frothy tactics really are. Yeah, no, it's um, that was also my favorite chapter. I'm still not all the way through. I, I did actually just finish the Novotny theme chapter yesterday, but I'm taking my sweet time with this. But so far, so far, so good. I can tell you that um, this is, of course, I'm very excited to finish getting through on the bus to St. Louis tomorrow because uh, uh, I'm going to have the video on my phone. So it's uh, it's good stuff. And guys, you can check out The Secrets of Chess Geometry. It is actually on sale uh, for two more days. Uh, it'll be one more day when this episode is out. Um, but uh, check it out, chessbull.com slash The Secret of Chess Geometry by GM Maurice Ashley. So, uh, And I want to thank Chessbull also for for gifting me this course to try it out because it was uh, – it was a it's it's just been a great course so far and i, I really love that uh, the work so thank, thank you, you for this it's very unique i have to say it's like unlike any most of the chessful courses i've been used to like opening training end game tactics stuff like that and this is just this is like an all-encompassing yeah it, it feels like uh how do I, how would i say this it feels like some sort of like physics textbook for chess <laughs> yeah i don't want to scare off your your listeners yeah make it seem like it's too complicated but what's interesting about that, what you just said, is, again, you appreciate the nuances of physics, right, because of what you do as a, as a PhD student in astronomy. And yet, you'll have people who may be mathematicians on one side, you'll have people who are just philosophers on another, they'll come to this, this idea from their specialty. It'll, it'll blow your mind no matter what you do. You be an engineer and you'll see it from that viewpoint. It doesn't matter what you do. It's, it, I love the universality of it. And I think that's its potency. That's 100%. where the power really lies. Is that it's so universal that you'll come to you and say, oh, this just makes sense for the world. So, so everybody who sees it will describe it their way. I, I remember a review on, uh, on Chessable where somebody said, if you're a math geek, Right. So they, you, you know, if you're a math geek, you're going to enjoy this because that person's a math geek. They just see it from their viewpoint. So it's great to see. Uh, it's great to see people reflect people's selves reflected in me describing. Yeah, I, I think you're right. It's it, it, these concepts are all very universal. I really why I was saying it's like a physics textbook because I think that it's just this is a course that's just trying to get to the essence of like what is the what is going on on the chessboard at its at its core. Like Absolutely. you get rid of pins, skewers, like zugzwangs, all that. Well, why do all these things happen? And it's it's all because of the geometry of the chessboard. Everything can all like ninety percent of chess can be tied down to that. And so if you're looking actively at the geometry in position, you will it will serve you well. Uh, you know what an important point to make for for your listeners? What you just said, you said ninety percent. It's a hundred percent of what's happening on the chessboard is the geometry. one hundred percent because chess is geometry in motion. Say it again. Chess, Chess is, is geometry, geometry in motion. Involved. Okay. There's no, there's no maybe to that. That just is the case. I came to realize that because the pieces they're moving, right? They're, they're, they have these abilities to move that we've imposed on them, of course. But they have the ability to move. They move in straight lines. Even the knight moves in a straight line. That usually blows people's mind when I say that. But all the pieces are moving in this linear fashion, and so, so you have prodigies or chess talent is usually those who can see 
this special geometry of the board and just kind of digest it instantly. It's like, oh, I should just do this. I should just do that. And they see as you, if you look, if you've sort of sped up, uh, you know, like just press the forward arrow on a chess game, you would just see these pieces flying across the board, right? And and if you could actually draw the lines emanating from each piece, you would see the geometry of these pieces just coming out as they move to the next square, move to the next square, and move to the next square. We don't visualize it like that because it would drive us crazy, frankly, to see all those lines on the board. But I'm, I'm talking about like, it, you know, lines of motion, uh, the way we do when we draw arrows to show commentary. But it's what it is. It's geometry in motion. There's not a question in my mind about it. It's 100% that way. We just don't use that, uh, that schema to describe what chess is. We use all kinds of other ideas, whether it's hanging pawns, right? Whether it's, again, in tactics, pins and forks, whether uh, it's strategic concepts. All of it could have literally been explained by ge in geometrical terms if a mathematician had decided that they were going to explain chess. But it just never happened. So we're kind of stuck with all this terminology that we, we impose on chess that we hope that players don't get stuck in the long run uh, because, because I think that that's how the board actually works. You know, terms like opposition, for example. In, yeah, like, why do we have that term? You know, it's just like another word to describe something that happened. But, but it's the geometry of the opposition, right, that matters. It's not the opposition, the term opposition itself. We have so many of these terms in chess. It's, I just feel it, it like enslaves people. Yeah, well, like opposition is a great point because if your goal is to just this may be a little more advanced, but if your goal is just okay, I need opposite, I just need to get the king opposed to the other king. Well, that's not always a win, like in endgame, like right, like this. So there that's are right. cases, right? There's cases where Absolutely. you have it. You're on the wrong file. Oops, that's a draw. Like, uh, oh, it's, you get the opposition, but it's uh, it's like someone else's turn. It's not yours. Right. Like. It, it yep. really depends. Like I, I don't. I think that like if you understand like geometry behind opposition, what exactly you're going for, which is to promote the pawn, then actually the moves make a lot more sense. Exactly. So it's not the, the term essence. that matters. It's the essence that matters. It's the essence. Exactly. It's not the term that matters. It's the essence. What you just said is quotable. That's what I'm talking about. Yeah. And I love that. That's what I love about about understanding chess. That I was not, and and I my mind worked like this as a growing player. I was not as concerned by the terminology. I was always concerned about the essence. I wanted to understand what was happening, not learn only. You know what I mean? Not memorize. Right. So, so this is how I've always looked at chess, uh, or or since I was you know, a pretty decent player, um, and I'm glad to be able to explain that. To you. Yeah, actually, uh, on the topic of you as a youth chess player, I'm I'm a little curious actually because uh, you were born in Jamaica, you uh, you lived in Brooklyn, I think, right? Yep. I uh, went to Brooklyn Tech. I'm also from Brooklyn, actually. So I wanted to ask yeah. you. Yeah. What up? I'm from I'm from Midwood. Yeah. What's up? Shout out Shout out Brooklyn. I miss you, Brooklyn. Um, I was I actually wanted to ask you like what was uh what was uh like Brooklyn chess like for you growing up? What was the scene like? Brooklyn chess was wild. Like you said, I went to Brooklyn Tech High School. I played against my boy Clotaire Colas. Uh, we all called him Tico from Haiti. Uh, he was quite a character, and he used to whoop my tail playing chess back in the day. I mean, he just crushed me. And But I learned pretty quickly, and it didn't take long before I was battling him and beating him back 
But then we would go to the parks and also my my boy, uh, Leon, Vincent Monroe. Uh, we grew up in Brownsville together and we played chess all the time, all, all the time. It was crazy. And then we went to the parks and there was a great park scene, a thriving park scene, as you know, in New York City. So we went to Prospect Park and guys were playing chess and blasting music and on the side smoking reefer and trash talking. And it was just like the craziest chess scene. And, and I grew up in that, you know? So it was, chess for me was not quiet and, and sedate and tournament kind of vibe. It was, it was energetic, it was lively. It was definitely irreverent. I think a lot of people hear my style of commentary and yeah, sometimes it comes off, comes off as abrasive. And I blame Brooklyn. Like, I just blame the way we grew up. Like, yo, if you, you, know, you can't hang, too bad. Like, well, that's how it's going to roll. You get your feelings hurt in a minute. You know, don't, don't get all antsy because we're telling you the truth. Or even if we're lying. But, yeah, you got to deal with it. So so that was just the vibe, the, the energy I grew up in. And then I met the, the gentleman from the Black Bear School, the fellas, uh, Willie Johnson, who remains a mentor to this day to me. A great friend. All these guys were older than me. Billy is is 18 years older, but it was like he was my homie. You know, like they 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 schooled me on being a man. Like growing up as a black man in America, uh, I was able to talk to them. And then as a chess player, these guys were strong. Ronald Simpson, the late Ronald Simpson, one of my dearest friends. He used to be the most tactical, fiery, breathing, crushing. Like he was like a dragon on steroids, the, the way he just attacked was incredible. And then you had guys like William Morrison, Steve Colding, Chris Welcome, Herminio Baez, who, who passed away, Martin Mears, who also passed away, George Golden, who passed away, called the Fire Breather. There are a lot of people I knew, man, a lot of good guys who, whose story has never been told. They've just never been told, but I, I'll tell you that I would not be the person I am, the, or the chess player I am today without their influence. So it's just extraordinary to be able to grow up in Brooklyn. Brooklyn is real and will always stay with you. Yeah, it's, it's beautifully said, man. And um, also being in the in the parks in New York this summer, I was in Europe all year. I came back and was playing some, some Washington Square Hustler hustler chess for the first time. I did that a couple of times this summer. That was, that was, that was a lot of fun because I've never been able to, to beat those guys uh, like back when I started playing chess. And then, like four years later, I go back and I'm just talking trash, and you know, <laughs> <laughs> it, is, it, was, it was a good time. Yeah, um, I actually I found an interesting quote. This is on Wikipedia. Uh, I don't actually know where this is from. Um, maybe I should know, but uh, you once said, "You can correct me if I'm wrong." African content GMs do African continent GMs do exist, but according to the systems of racial classification, I am the first black grandmaster in history. It matters, and it doesn't matter all at the same time. I was wondering if you could uh, you could kind of clarify um, like like why it matters and does matter. I have a sense of why it matters, but um, I was just wondering if I could get your thoughts on this quote. Yeah, you know, it, it's one of those things where if you live in a if you live in a society that has racial classifications, which is basically most societies, then you don't really see the fundamental human as as just that as just that right we're all we're we're all human we all we, we share blood types you know you you need a transplant 
and I've got it, you're going to take it, right? Like, it'll save your life. So the whole idea of dividing by race is just, just a construct that truly is unnecessary. If some aliens were to show up and they wanted to eat some humans, they're just going to eat us, right? I'm <laughs> like, well, maybe maybe there's going to be a little slightly different flavor. I don't know. I'm not, I've never tried. Uh, I'm not a cannibal. But uh, we're human, right? That's that's the, the point. But I'm not naive to the fact that these race, racial classifications do exist, and they have a history, and they have a harsh history, and a history that has impacted real people's lives and has led to a lot of suffering and death even over the centuries. Uh, that is that is our human legacy. And so I get that when I became a grandmaster, it mattered to a lot of people. It mattered because somebody who looks like me with my skin color had never become a grandmaster in chess. And even though I recently found out about a grandmaster in Cuba, Ramon, Ramon Hernandez, who passed away recently, and on the face of it, you look at him, he's got, you know, he looks, he, he doesn't look as you would call like a black person, but apparently in Cuba, they consider him Afro-Cuban. And so it's, I really want to go meet his family and talk to them. I haven't done that uh, just yet, communicate. I actually want to go to Cuba and go meet them and talk about his feelings about that. Like what, you know, what that meant, because, because if it is true that he classified himself as such, uh, as I, you know, as a black man, then I may actually not even be the first black grandmaster. I may, I, am I the first African American versus Afro Cuban? It gets, you know, you right. know what I'm saying? it gets complicated. It's like, what are, what are we talking about exactly? So that's why I say it's just, it matters. It matters if it, if it helps, right? It matters if it inspires. It matters. Uh, if there are more to come, if there are others who have been inspired by me, then yeah, of course, and I know they have. But in truth, I'm just a grandmaster. Yeah, well, you've got like Tani and, and Brewington now coming up on the scene who hopefully will become strong players. And I mean, I'm sure uh, you you were a trailblazer for them. Well, I mean, and others as well. You know, I, I know I know that there are other uh, black grandmasters in the world who've been inspired uh, by what I've done, and and that's cool. But Again, frankly, I would love, to, you know, I, I don't think I'm only inspiring them, right? I don't, I don't think I'm only inspiring African-Americans or, or Black right. people. I think uh, I, have, I have various people who come up to me and tell me how much I've inspired them. And so- I'm You've grateful. inspired me, man. Seriously. I appreciate it. And, I, and I'm grateful. And I'm really grateful uh, for, for the fact that people care about what I do and what I've said and, you know, and what, I, what I've been able to accomplish. I, 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 people of all stripes. And I really appreciate that, honestly. Whenever somebody comes up to me and says, "You know, you you've inspired me. You made a difference," I t I don't take that lightly. It's something amazing that we're able to do to touch other people's lives. Hundred percent. But at the end of the day, the only thing that matters is the sixty-four squares, right? Uh, you know what? <laughs> the sixty-four squares matters, but it's not the only thing that matters in life. No. But I know what you're saying. It's all about chess for us. It is all about chess, and, and we just want to play well. We want to yeah. respect the game respect the game that's what it's all about yeah it is it is kind of remarkable how um how much time you could spend thinking about chess even if you're not like uh super grandmaster like 
Especially if you're not a super grandmaster. Usually by that time, you're kind of like, you know, it's out of your profession. I love the amateurs who are just so obsessed and they're not going to get anything out of it. There's no money coming their way. Nope. There's no glory coming their way. They just love the game. I like love it for the pure joy of just beating on somebody or just the beauty of it. Right. right. I think when people say, I don't play very well, like, what are you talking about? I don't play very well. <laughs> I mean, I, I know lots of players who can beat me. It's not about the, this result all the time that people think about. It's just about loving that game, loving how beautiful chess is. It's been around for a long time because it's just, it's, it's just so deep. It, the, it's just so wild and interesting and, and dynamic and fun. And it's, everything about it is just wonderful. So I, I respect the amateurs. I respect them because one, a lot of times when you become a strong player, you get jaded. You've seen so much already that that what's that the next thing you see you there's less to surprise you there's less to stun you right i'm not going to be shocked by a smothered mate like after i've seen it was like eh, okay it's mother mate right like i'm not gonna feel that but imagine the joy of that 10 year old who sees the smothered mates like oh my god that's the greatest thing ever Forever, yeah <laughs> like you know it's stuff like that i i'm always joyous when i see something that i've never seen before I, and it doesn't happen very often. But when it happens, that's when the magic happens because the game continues to surprise. Indeed. Another thing I actually wanted to ask you about was this, uh, you made, you were on a stream with Neil deGrasse Tyson and you made these uh, constellations, uh, constellation puzzles. And I enjoyed the one that you showed, but um, I hope you, you show, I hope you show the other one someday because I'm, I'm very interested to see them. They, they're cool. Did, he, did Neil get... I, yeah, I didn't. Exp I, I he didn't. Of course, he's not a chess player per se. So he was just trying to guess the constellation, which he did very badly. But <laughs> by the way, but uh, I think he got one out of five, maybe, or maybe it was two out of five. I'll give him two out of five. Of course, it's hard to guess a constellation from chess pieces sitting on the board. But the big thing for me was not the constellation, but was actually creating it as a chess puzzle. And I thought that was pretty humorous. If you if you saw the stream then you've seen every position and you can try to solve them as a chess puzzle. Every last one of them is white to move and win. So you can just try to solve them as a chess puzzle and then you can just throw it in an engine to see if you're right. But yeah, it was a pretty cool thing for me to do. I didn't just want to put constellation down. Yeah. Random I gave, pieces. I gave the, yeah, just random pieces. I gave myself the additional challenge of actually creating a chess puzzle out of it. And a couple of them are cool. And one of them made it into the chess of course. Yeah, and I, th I also, um, one of the first, like, things that kind of just surprised me when I was really starting to study chess is that the dragon, Sicilian, is not named the dragon because it's like, oh, scary, crazy opening. No, it's because the pawn structure resembles the constellation Draco. Exactly. That's, uh, it's, it's, it's pretty cool. Uh, you know, there's, like, all these little uh, concurrencies between astronomy yes. and chess. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. And I'm sure... 100% because that's how my mind works. I am sure that you could do a chessable course uh, that's something like the secrets of chess astronomy. <laughs> I'm sure that course is possible and I'm sure it would be amazing and I'm sure it would actually explain chess in a beautiful way. In fact, when on my stream, when Neil was talking about it, he started talking about lasers and force vectors. And I'm just sitting there like, yes, baby, this is exactly what I wanted to hear. 
right? Like this, I know those interconnections exist. And, and he broke down the, the, the idea of threats and lines and force much more fundamentally than we normally do when we talk about it in chess. And I think that that's a, it's because chess connects. Chess is part of human culture and it connects in this fundamental way to so many things that uh, it, it just, it continues to, to be a source of joy for me. Anywhere I look, I can see chess. Anywhere and everywhere I look, I can see chess come to life. I think uh, one of the best analogies I ever heard about chess, um, how pieces move, uh, is from Daniel Naroditsky. He's talking about potential and kinetic energy. Mm -hmm. um, in physics, kinetic energy, an object has energy when it's moving that you can calculate. But it also has potential energy. If it's, For example, if you have a book on a desk, it actually has some potential energy that will like, that will turn into kinetic energy when it hits the ground. And so you can actually think about the chess pieces in terms of that. When you're setting up tactics, like a knight, for example, has a lot of potential energy and you can gain. So you can actually describe chess in terms of things like energy and momentum. Uh, okay, maybe it's not the most accurate, but, but if you understand what those mean from a physics standpoint, it's actually very helpful. Um, and like I, like I said before, I, I find it remarkable how many analogies people make whether it's from physics or philosophy or from math or like any, any walk of life basically people people have found ways to make uh chess like relevant and beautiful to them from their own like reference frame and that to me is really it just speaks to how human this game is really absolutely absolutely and I, i'm surprised you you were surprised by danny describing that because you should have done it yourself you, yeah you're the, you're the astronomy and physics guy yes and i'm a big fan of both uh, I'm also a science fiction fan. So like I describe certain ideas based on Star Trek as stuff I've seen in Star Trek, you know, like the slingshot maneuver. I don't know if you know this, this idea, but, um, the idea that you can, that, a, that a spaceship can use the gravity of a planet to further accelerate itself. Yeah. And there are positions in chess that are just like that. And I use that to explain this to, to beginners. Again, everything matters somehow intertwined. You can make these analogies and they're powerful ones too. It's not like some trite, you're like, oh, you're facile stuff. Oh, please. It's not really meaningful. It's really profound. It actually connects. Chess uh, somehow, I don't know what it is. I would almost feel like it's a, like some kind of alien species just put it there and it gave us the game and said, this is going to be the the way to unlock the secrets of the universe, right? Like, it's like, okay, I'm, I'm, I'm being facetious, but not really. It's like, it's just so deep the way it connects to so many things and allows me to understand the game better and actually make better moves. That's the key point. It's not like I'm just saying what I'm saying. It actually allows me to make better moves because I have these in insights about the game. Right. Now, last thing I wanted to ask you is you said you're, all, you're writing a children's book and you're also working on another book. So I was wondering, maybe you could tease those, those projects as well. Thanks for asking. My children's book, I'm done. I'm not writing. I'm done. I gave it to my editor. It's a book. Of, it's a book about me, about my passion for chess, growing up in Brooklyn Tech. My my friend I mentioned, Clotair Colas, he features in it. It talks about my first chess tournament. Uh, it also talks about me being a fan of Mikhail Tal and the first time I ever saw him playing live. 
so those are the three major areas. It's a book written for kids, so it's five to eight-year-olds, early readers. It will have illustrations on every page. I am not that talented. We will have <laughs> so, so it's going to be my words, uh, his illustrations, merging on every page, talking about chess. It's called The Life-Changing Magic of Chess. And I, they approached me with the book idea. I was never even thinking about writing such a book. Uh, the publisher, Magic Cat, um, in England, uh, uh, approached me and said they think this would be great as part of a series, the life-changing magic of other uh, activities as well. Skiing is one of them and a couple of others. And I'm thrilled. Like, wow, next year, it'll be out next year in the fall. And I'm so excited to see this book. And you're going to see all the little Maurice, you know, illustrated on the page. Uh -huh, that's awesome. Hilarious. Yeah. And then you said you're working on another one, right? The other one is definitely an adult book. Chess. The working title is Chess Meets Life. And it's about exactly what we've been talking about now. Chess and its relevance to everything. And uh, so I'll, I'll be talking about everything. <laughs> like just just everything, the, the beauty of chess, why it's, it's relevant to, to culture and, and uh, science and mathematics and everything that comes to my brain will be in there. It's also going to be illustrated, but not on every page, uh, like the children's book. But it's going to be a beautiful book, Princeton Architectural Press is uh, the ones I've signed with. They also approached me, by the way, a lot of people have been approaching me to do projects. And it's just, I've just been like, yes. And so I'm excited about that one. Um, much deeper book, but hopefully I'm, when I'm thinking of writing it, as I'm writing, it's more lyrical book. It's not going to be something super hyper complex. It's going to be something that really is more about, is more about the poetry of, of chess as it intersects with life. Yeah, this, I, I think that sounds like a wonderful book. And um, yeah, chess is a very poetic game. I think to end this off, you know, I, there's this famous quote about chess that it's like chess is part science, part art and part sport. Um, you know, you have the best of all of those worlds like in our game. And I think that's what makes it so human. I think that's why it, it really speaks to everybody, whether, you know, you're some astronomy nerd like me or you're somebody who's just likes beautiful moves on a beautiful board. Absolutely. It's a great quote. And people usually like to take it, take one over the other. Uh, but I think it's all of them and more. Right. I completely agree. And on that note, I want to thank you for coming on the podcast. I've been trying to do this for a while. I'm glad we made it work. And uh, I think it was an awesome episode. I hope uh, all of y'all listening at home, hope you agree. Uh, you could check out Maurice on, on Twitter, at Maurice Ashley on Twitter. Um, yeah. And check also out on Instagram, Maurice Ashley Chess on Instagram. Yeah. Yeah, is there, yeah. So Maurice Ashley Chess on Instagram. I'll follow you on there too. I didn't know you had Instagram. Um, yeah, and check out Maurice's course, Secrets of Chess Geometry on Chessable. Thanks, Chessable, for sponsoring this show, as always. I uh, really appreciate it. And uh, I'll see you guys for the next episode. So I hope you have a fun, uh, fun week, and I'll see you next time.